Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. Lord, we ask that you continue to lead us in worship. Help us to see you more clearly and how you are just calling us deeper into relationship with you, Father. And let that just invade every aspect of our lives, encourage our hearts and our souls, and just lead us as we just want to follow and serve and worship you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. How are we doing? I'm going to raise this up just a tad. You good with that? I know you are. All right, we are continuing this January series called Limitless Commitments. We keep framing it real quickly because I know this is a season of new resolutions, things that we want to improve about ourselves, about our lives, new routines and rhythms. And we're submitting to you for this month that don't have limits like all of our resolutions will have at some level. These are limitless commitments, meaning they have potential limitless impacts in your life, the life of those around you, and not only this life, but into eternity. And so today... We're talking about the faith-led family. So if you're taking notes using one of the amazing notebooks that we are giving away, if you don't have one yet, stop by our connections table before you leave and get one of these new notebooks. Uh, they're there for you to use, believe it or not. Take notes in. It's amazing. Sermon titles, The Faith-Led Family. In other words, this is a family that lives for the Lord first. And just to get this thing started off, this is going to be a very broad brush stroke as we go through this time together. There's no way we can dive into deeper levels of all of these things that we're going to talk about today, but it should get us thinking about what this looks like in our lives as we think through commitments that are limitless. And so families, I mean, just a quick uh, clarification, maybe definition of what I mean. That's with kids. That's without kids. That's you are a kid, right? At some level, I shouldn't know about everyone in the room, no matter how old of a kid you are. Families, and again, if you're single, don't check out because we're going to be talking about your season of life as well. And so I'm just convinced that God has a word for us through his word that will stir and encourage our hearts no matter what season of life that you find yourself in. So don't get stuck with the word family because it means a whole bunch of things in a whole bunch of different ways, and we're going to talk about that this morning. And so when we think about our families, again, no matter what stage of life family you're in, what if God was able to do above and beyond all that you could ask or think within your family. Have you ever considered God's plans for your family? Because if you're in a family, if you're part of a family, usually you have big plans for your family, no matter what stage you're in. You may be a parent, a grandparent, just a spouse with no kids, like all these things. We have plans for our families. Even in your singleness, thinking about your one-day family, you have plans already. Have you considered God's plans for your family? I want to submit we should. After all, the family is God's idea. I know we know that, but I think we need to hear it again. The family is God's idea. And since the family is God's idea, maybe we should go to God's word for guidance on what he has for the family. I like Isaiah 55, God says, For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
it's probably a good idea to start with God's thoughts before our thoughts. And the big idea I want us to see this morning as we get things started off is God's formation of the family is foundational for spreading his glory and flourishing in our faith. You don't believe me? That's good. It's all right. We'll get there. Genesis 2, verse 24, says, This is why man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. This is the first family. The first man, the first woman, and this is the first marriage union. They become their own family. Now, real quick, I'm not going to dive in this deep, but notice that they leave their father and mother. We got some newly married couples and about to be newly married couples. A couple things here. One, you're establishing your own family. So parents that are launching off your kids to be married, you have to let them be married. Right? You have to let them be their family. Give them some space. Easier said than done, I understand. Newly married people, realize you don't know it all. Receive some good guidance from your family and your parents, Right? Double, double, both ways here. I remember I was once young and dumb and stupid, and some of you maybe like you still are kind of. But anyway, it took me a long time to figure out this being newly married, our own family, and we were so like, I was almost really shoving my in-laws away, and that wasn't healthy either. So there's a dynamic there, but the point is, God establishes a new family in the covenant of marriage. But the point is that. This foundation of the family is foundational to spreading his glory and to flourishing in their faith. Genesis one twenty seven says that God created man and woman. God created them in his own image. And in Genesis one twenty eight it says God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So notice that the family, each individual's image bearers, and then they recreate, procreate image bearers. Spreading God's image to the ends of the earth for God's glory. This is the big deal. And notice that they become one flesh. I'm going to touch on something real quick. I'm not going to linger here so don't get nervous. But this bonding and this multiplying, just to be clear, God's talking about sex. Okay? We good there? And I like, it's all weird in church. Like, can we say that? Of course we can, because it's God's good gift to be used in the right way, within the covenant and confines of a marriage. We get weird because we've twisted it all, made it all weird. We have perverted it. That wasn't God's idea. It's a good thing. We meant to spread God's glory. Imagine that. But what I want us to see is God... The family is God's plan A for the spread of his glory. Have you ever thought about that? The family is God's plan A for the spread of his glory. You see it here in Genesis. But don't miss how quickly the family becomes endangered and even damaged when we drift from our devotion to God and his directives. When sin creeps in, it separates and it shatters families. This is crazy because we see it as early as Genesis 3. Isn't that wild? I mean, three chapters into what we know is God's word. And we see Adam accusing Eve. Right? The first argument. 
Many more would follow, no doubt. We see Genesis 4, Cain kills Abel. Genesis 5, we see some family lineage lines, and so there's nothing really said there. And then Genesis 6, we see that wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was on nothing but evil all the time. And it says, this deeply grieved God. Man, that escalated quickly. But when we don't do things God's way, we can expect damage and destruction. When we think our ways are higher than his ways. And so what happens then in Genesis? Evil was widespread and God is still love and he's still just. He would be unjust if he let sin go unpunished. And so that's exactly what he did. There was time for repentance, but every inclination of the human mind and heart were on nothing but evil and wickedness. And so he pours out his wrath, as we know, through this global flood. But notice that he preserves a family. He establishes his covenant with Noah, and he preserves the family. And just a quick takeaway, don't, don't miss this, that there is never a failure too big or a faith too small to stop God's faithfulness. There's never a failure too big or a faith too small to stop God's faithfulness. He remains forever faithful. And the point where we're going to keep going at is God is able. That's what we see in Ephesians 3.20. He is able. I don't know what the hell that lands on you, what you need God's ability to do, but God is able. And think how that just impacts every aspect of our family. God is able. God's able. And this Ephesians 3 passage, in my opinion, for the Christian, is one of the most hope-filling, faith-fueling verses in the entire Bible. The context, real quick, is this letter to the church in Ephesus was written by the Apostle Paul. And we see this faith foundational theme throughout Ephesians, both personally and within, and it flows to the family. Which brings us to verse 20 of Ephesians 3 that Kim read for us just a minute ago. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask, think, or think according to the power that works in us. Now three quick things about this passage. Know that it's a power passage. For the believer, the moment you believe, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, meaning filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, don't, don't you know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you? This is the power that's being spoken of. The Holy Spirit fills and lives in us. So we see this is a power passage. We see it's a praying passage. All that we can ask or think. This is a praying passage. And have you ever been to that point to where you want to pray but don't know how or don't even know what to say? Like seeing beyond words. Romans 8, 26 says, In the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray as we should. So even when you don't know what to pray, pray. You don't know how to pray? Pray. So we see it's a power passage, it's a pray passage, it's a providing passage. To him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. This could be translated in, in, in the Greek here. 
He's able to do super abundantly more, which I love that. Super abundantly more than we can ask or think. So I'm going to pause here because we need to go back to the, this is a lot of what God's able to do, but why? We talk about a lot in this church, the why behind the what. What motivates God's moving or propels his providing here? Well, back up real quick if you're in Ephesians 3 to verse 14. Because we're going to get a running start real quick. We're not going to linger here, but it's extremely important. There's a prayer here. And I want you to think, as you hear this prayer, how would this prayer change how you pray for, pray for your wife, how you pray for your children, how you pray over your family? Verse 14 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. He says this, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power in your inner being through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in, what's the next word? Don't miss that. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's, what's it say? Love. And to know Christ's participatory sport. We can do this. Love. That surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Why do I emphasize love? One, this prayer emphasizes God's love. But this love is the agape love. That's what's translated, agape. Which can be simply summarized as a love that refers to what seeks best for the one loved. Or being self, sacrificially selfless for the sake of someone else. Agape love. Being sacrificially selfless for the sake of someone else. Now I want you to just carry this with you as our remaining time together. This agape love. That's being prayed for here. So in this, this same passage, if you put it another way, it can be said that if you can begin to comprehend the dimensions of God's love, which is still beyond our ability to fully know, then you can begin experiencing the fullness of God's filling. The filling of God's fullness, experiencing the lavishing of his love. And this is so crucial to our relationship with God. As John 1.4 says, God is love. Is. It's who he is. And that's huge because, because of God, who he is, that is the only reason we are able to love. He is the standard of love, and because he loved, we are able to love. That's what 1 John 4.19 or 4, says. We love because he first loved us. And this is where the faith-led family has its foundation, is the fullness of God's love. Now think through how this impacts our family. Jesus says in John 13, I give you a new command, not an option to consider. Love one another as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. Now let's sink in for a minute. Love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus isn't talking to the family. He's not talking to, he's talking to Christians. 
So this Christian love flows from Christian to Christian. It flows within the family, within the church. This new command is to love others as I have loved you. Think about what this agape love looks like. This selflessly sacrificial for the sake of someone else. And why I'm harping on this so much, because we're going to get back, but we need to stop looking at the culture to clarify what love is and what love is not. We need to start looking to Christ only. Christ was the example of love. The culture explanation of love is weak and incomplete, but we see in Christ the example of lasting, long-suffering love. Perpetual, patient, unending Uh, enduring and unmerited. That's what love is. It is clarify what unmerited means. It means it's given without you having to do anything for it. This is Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says, but God proves his own love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. That means while we were rejecting him, while we didn't want nothing to do with him, while we were walking away, said, God, you stay over there. I don't want you, don't need you. Christ proved his love by dying for us. God proved his own love for us, and now while we were still rejecting rebellion, he died for us anyway. This is what love looks like. He chose to do it. He didn't have to, chose to. Chose to do it. Which we talk about sometimes as we start talking about this love, we get wrapped up in love isn't feeling it. It definitely is, but love's a choice. It's a choice. In his love that Jesus revealed by example, 1 Corinthians 13 illuminates for us to emulate. You guys know 1 Corinthians 13. It's a, the marriage passage, right? Do you know in 1 Corinthians 13, it wasn't given to married couples? This wasn't the, the second marriage in the Bible, right? This is for Christians. This is written to a local church, but for Christians to live out. You know what? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is does not envy, is, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not, not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep record of wrongs, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And what this verse does not end with is unless the person doesn't deserve it. It's not in there. It says regardless of the other person, love looks like this. The characteristics of love in your life looks like this despite whoever the other person is. This is what agape love looks like. Now, think how that would impact, radically impact, every aspect of your family if this kind of love was lived out. So I want to really dive into how first, or Ephesians 3.20 really impacts our family because really Ephesians 3.20 permeates every aspect of our lives. This is a a verse that just transcends every aspect of our life. But I want to just narrow it in with a laser-tight focus on our families. So I believe with biblical backing that the strength of the family is foundational to the cultural's health, stability, and thriving. Let me tell you something that I'm sure you know. The family can't get started without there being a single person. Did you guys know that? Adam was single for a minute, right? It takes two single people to get together and start forming a family. We get there? So let's talk about singleness. 
Because I think this isn't talked about enough, but did you know the Apostle Paul actually said and saw singleness as a gift from God? Do you know that? 1 Corinthians 7.7. Paul, who is also a single man, said, I wish that all people were was as I am. But each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, another has that gift. And he's talking about the whole passages of marriage and singleness. And so just touch on singleness for a minute. Two things. Singleness is not meaningless. Your singleness is not meaningless. And two, God has intended more than most of you have imagined from your singleness. There are freedoms in your singleness that allow you to firm up your foundation, to burn your, build your foundation in your faith in Christ. The Apostle Paul again talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7, the singleness. He says this, he says in 20, or 32, the unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The married man is divided interest because he has to please his wife and please the Lord. And some wives are harder to please, so maybe like 70 30. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. He says to the woman, the unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may. Be holy, both in body and in spirit, but the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And so there's freedoms and goodness in your singleness to actually thrive in your relationship with the Lord. So I'm just wondering, how can you use your singleness for more than a season of just meandering until you get married? Because that's what it feels like sometimes, right? Like a season of waiting until maybe I'll get married. How could you use your singleness for more? Like, think through practical ways. I mean, what if you use your time and your singleness to really start abiding more in the Lord, spend time more in his word, prayer, in community, in your church family, serving, being missionally engaged, going on mission trips? Like, think about how you can use your time that's not focused on your husband or your wife and focus even more on on building that relationship in the Lord before you enter in the covenant of marriage if the Lord would have that for you. Again, this Ephesians 3, 20 passage, to him who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask, think, or imagine, think about that, how that impacts your singleness. I mean, just real quick, my own story, I never wanted to get married. And never's a long time. God had their plans. I didn't care to have kids. That's funny, huh? It wasn't part of my plans. Got seven kids, those who were wondering. But his ways are higher than my ways. Praise God. I didn't even know what to ask or think, but I know I wanted to live, real, really, this is, my, this is my thing. I wanted to live in Montana, Southern California kid. I don't know why Montana. I wanted to live in Montana with a pickup truck and a dog. That was my dream. Praise God I didn't have that. My goodness. This is cold enough. I don't want to live in Montana. But your singleness is meant for more than we often even think about. And just a note, Paul wasn't anti-marriage. He was anti-treating your singleness or your marriage as meaningless. There's meaning and purpose by God's gifting and leading in both. 
But again, not all are called, or not all will be, rather, married. We know that. And we're going to circle back to marriage in a second. But some marrieds will have kids, but not all will have kids, but some will. And I want us to hear that children are a gift from God. God gives, and sometimes he doesn't. I don't know why he does. Let's be honest. There's some parents that probably shouldn't have kids, and there's some marrieds that should have kids and can't. I don't know why. But God gives, and sometimes he doesn't. But when he does, it's God's gift. Psalm 123, verse 3 says, Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. They're a gift. Those who have children, we need to remember, they're a gift. When you go home after worship, and they're freaking out because they're hungry and tired, right? That little screamer is a gift from the Lord. (laughs) And those of you who are children, which just to remind us, that's everyone in the room, you are a gift. Like, think of how that lands. You are a gift from God, regardless of what people told you. Maybe your own parents treated you. You are a gift from God. It's interesting that we're talking about this today because this is the day that many churches around the world have dedicated a Sanctity of Life Sunday. As a reminder that children in the womb and outside the womb are God's gift. Image bearers, wonderfully and created work just created in God's womb. Children are a gift. Parenting is a privilege. I think we forget that. I forget that. Parenting is a privilege. This agape love that we receive, we're called to replicate. I just want to touch on this real quick. We're not going to spend a lot of time on parenting, but you have one job as a parent. That's not to, to raise a successful professional. It's not to raise the next LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Brock Purdy. No, no 49ers fans. That's all right. Hey, sinners are welcome here. Listen, (laughs) Ephesians 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, which we kind of glance over, but... It says, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. This is your call as a dad and as parents. I mean, fathers so many times just regulate, that's mom's job. Mom will teach, mom will raise. No. Men are called to lead as a husband and as a father. Parents are called to raise their kids to know the Lord. That is your main job. And it's funny that I, I hear this sometimes, like, well, I don't make my kid go to church. I don't want them to not want to go to church. Do we do that with anything else that we find as crucial to life? Like, do you do that about school? Like, ah, I don't want them to go. I don't make them go to school because I don't want them not like going to school. No, because we know that school is necessary. How much more necessary is knowing the Lord? And so I'm not just saying church. Yes, church is a good thing by God's design. But how are you living out in your family? Are you regularly sharing and showing God's goodness in the family? 
Are you reading the Bible? Are you praying together? We often don't read the Bible with our kids because we're afraid of the questions we'll get. It's okay to say, I don't know. Read the Bible. But as I was thinking about Ephesians 3.20, now to him who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, even on our parenting missteps, there's still God's graciousness. So I don't know what your parenting journey's been to at this point, but starting now, by God's grace, it's never too late to start parenting in God's ways. I think about my own story real quick. I was not raised in a Christian home. It was very much not that. It was full of drama, multiple divorces, abuse, drugs, alcohol, not quite the Christian experience. And even still, God saved me at the age of 20. My parents almost did almost everything wrong that they could imagine. Even still, God saved me at the age of 20. Now to him who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Nobody, I had someone reach out to me just a couple months ago. I haven't heard from since I was in middle school. And I could tell that they were shocked. Not only that I was a Christian, but I was a pastor. Because they knew me in middle school. And they knew my dad. Let me encourage you in your parenting missteps. God's grace is still sufficient. And he is still able. Despite us. So let me circle back and start winding this thing up. Because really I want to take a moment just to focus on marriage. Because no matter how great a parent you are, if your marriage stinks, your family's going to suffer. And not all will be married, but many will be. And the strength and the healthiness of your marriage directly impacts the strength and healthiness of your family, your kids. And the sad sad reality, the the statistics are still very high when it comes to divorce. And I found some new ones I wasn't even aware of. And again, I'm not completely sold on statistics all the time, but I think there's value in them because they can shed light in some areas. The stats still are slightly, for first-time marriages, slightly less than 50% will end in divorce for first-time marriages. What I didn't know is that those rates go up as multiple marriages go on. For second-time marriages, just over 60% will end in divorce. And for third-time marriages, just over 70% end in divorce. Isn't that interesting? I don't share these stats to scare you, but I share these to sober us up to the reality of trying to do marriage with our own methods. Do marriage under our own methods, our own ideas. This is what this looks like. And I just wonder, of those marriages that do survive, I wonder if that's exactly what it feels like, surviving instead of thriving. Man, I pray that our marriages don't feel like surviving. To experience the fullness of God's gift in marriage, each of us has to commit, each spouse has to commit to surrendering to God's ways above our own. And this is completely contrary to the cascading claims of the culture. It's completely opposite of what the culture will tell us. Marriages are continuing to crumble and crash all around us. I know several couples right now that are struggling and or getting divorced. Christian couples, 
I'm walking with a guy in my, this BMX racing community that I'm a part of whose marriage is on the brink of divorce. They're all around us because we still, even as Christians and non-Christians alike, we try to do marriage under our own methods. And God's word is calling us to stop. So let me ask you this. Do you believe that God's design for marriage is best? Because I'm going to challenge that here in a second. If we believe it, we have to do this, right? Well, wives... It says in Ephesians, wives are to submit to your husbands. Now, if I didn't quantify that, how's that land on you? Right? So, but what's what God's word says? We have said we believe the thing. Wives are to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. This submit doesn't mean slave, okay? I do have to clarify it because of the cultural setting that we're in and these false thoughts that we have. But the wives are to submit to the Christian leading of the husband. Which means the husband has to be leading and loving as Christ loved the church. I didn't say it. It follows this passage. Because so much we get focused on wives, submit to your husbands, like, what? Pump the brakes, right? I'm all down, God's love, until wives, to do what? Not submitting to Bob. Do you know Bob? Right? It's a high calling, but husbands have a higher calling. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself forward to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. How did Christ love the church? God proved his unlove that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So husbands, I don't care what your wife acts like or does, you're called a lover as Christ loved the church. It's agape love, selflessly sacrificial for the sake of your spouse. And not only just to love her like that, but the leader to know and to love the Lord by your actions and conduct. How's that working out for you? This isn't calling for perfection, but this is calling to surrender and sacrifice yourself for the sake of your spouse. Now think about wives. If your husband was seeking to love you as Christ loved the church, how easy would it then be to submit to their leading? If he was really pursuing the Lord with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength and seeking to love you as Christ loved him, how would that influence you hearing wives submit to your husbands? Yeah. Wouldn't that change some things? Why is it so silent in here? There's no amens when it comes to wives submit to your husbands. It's in the Bible. Do we trust it? That's the question. And no wonder when we come to pastors like this, we're like, ew, I don't want to do that. No wonder why divorce rates are so high. It's because Bob ain't leading and Susan isn't following. Now, if your name's Bob or Susan, I'm sorry. It's not intentional. But listen, there's one daily habit that I came across. If, there, if there's one daily habit that would change the course of all marriages, that would radically improve the rate of you staying together with a spouse and significantly decrease the rate and the likelihood of you getting divorced, one daily habit that just took a few minutes a day with your spouse would you do that thing? Okay. There's two of us. That's great. So everyone will say, hang by. We'll talk for a second. 
I came across a couple reports in research this week. There's one routine that has been reported that drops divorce rates to about 1%. Praying together. Praying together. What would it look like if you committed just a few minutes with your spouse praying together? I wonder if we can do that. I'm not asking if you do, because I'm afraid I'm going to get the right answer. Because I, I know that traditionally we don't. Praying with your spouse is powerful. If we care for our marriages, I'm going to submit to you that we better start praying with our spouses. With, not for, do that also, but with, out loud, with words. And that's intimidating, right? Because it's intimate. No joke. Marriage is called to be intimate. I wish I would have known this 20 years ago, 21 years ago, going into marriage. I wish somebody would have took me. I didn't have premarital counseling. Man, if I could make that mandatory, I would. I didn't have it. Rachel and I were young, dumb, and stupid. I still am. She is not. Maybe not young. But man, over the years, as we started praying together, praying together, and seeking the Lord together, how God's blessed our marriage. Because we're putting him at the center of our marriage. This is what this looks like. Men, you're called to lead and love as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. And even in your marriage missteps, or maybe you don't even know what to pray for your marriage, God's still able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. And in this church, we do have people who've been divorced. And we know that isn't God's plan A for marriage, is divorce. We know that. Marriage is a covenant before God forever. Yet there's many reasons why divorce happens. And we don't have the time to go through all of them, but divorce happens. If you've been through divorce, there's still God's grace, even through the mess of divorce. This Ephesians 3.20 passage still impacts you. Even though you've been divorced, God is still able to do above and beyond all that you ask or think. And this is why I love this passage so much. There's so much grace in this passage, that even when we don't know what to do, even in our missteps, and even in our mess-ups, God is still able. In your marriage, with your kids, at the workplace, God is still able. I'm just wondering, what are we asking God to do according to his abilities, not our own? Even when we pray, man, pray for the best of your abilities. Pray your dreams that are God-glorifying, but trust him in the process. Man, my dream wasn't to be married to have seven kids. That sounded like a nightmare 23 years ago. But I could not imagine it any other way. I really am living the dream I didn't even know I was dreaming about. By God's grace. I'm not saying everybody's called to have seven kids. I wasn't either. It's by my Rachel, my, my wife was. She's Anyway, I digress. But notice in verse 21, Ephesians 3.21, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. 
You want to see generational blessing? Start with your marriage and how you raise your kids. And we'll see God's glory spreading through the family and flourishing through the faith. This is the faith-led family. Putting Jesus first in all things, always. And let's see what God does with that. Can we commit to this limitless commitment? But man, for the families, it starts with your marriage. And for many, you'll never have kids. Your family is your spouse. Praise God. For others, you will have kids. Your family expands a little bit. Praise God. For many, you'll be single. You're still a part of a family. Praise God. But any and all that, it's God's gift, and he's able to do above and beyond all that we can ask, think. I'm going to invite the band back up, but as I do, I'm just going to call us to reflect on God's love. Because here we are, we know that we're called to live out this agape love. This, no matter what other person does, I'm supposed to love him like Christ loved me. But that's just it. It has to start with us. It has to start with our relationship with Jesus. Here in a minute, we're going to sing and we're going to respond. But I want to read 1 John 4, 10 and 11 to you. And remind us, one, what Jesus did for us. And remind us, two, if you're not following Jesus and have not put your faith in Jesus, it's not too late and the time is right now. 1 John 4, 10 says, Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. I'm just praying that God's love washes over you this morning. Let that start changing your life. Despite what you've done, gone through, where you're at, your rebellion, rejection of God is never too late until your breath runs out and your heart stops beating. But as long as that is still active, you have time, and the time is now. It's not me trying to convince you. I just want you to know that there's a God who loves you and gave himself for you despite you so you can know and love him and know the love that surpasses our understanding our ability to fully know. But it starts with knowing him. So if you desire to know God's love for the first time today by putting your faith in him. That's a simple time right now as we sing, as we pray, that you say, God, I don't know how, I don't know all the understandings, but I know this, that you died for me so that I can live. I know that you paid my price for my sin so that by faith in you, that you've done this, that finished work on the cross, I have life. I've been brought from separation into the family of God. I'm now called a child of yours, and this changes everything. If you don't know what to pray, just pray, God, I need you. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. If you want someone to pray with we'd love to pray with you. We'll have a prayer team to the side. But make a commitment today, no matter where you are, to start following Jesus first. Whether your husband or a spouse, follow Jesus first. Whether a parent, follow Jesus first. If you're a child, follow Jesus first. Because he is able. And if you're still questioning Jesus, follow Jesus. Because he's able. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to continue to respond.
by praying, by singing, whatever that looks like, but you respond to God's leading in this place. Let's just respond to what the Holy Spirit's doing in this moment because God is good and he's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Father, we thank you for bringing us to this place. We thank you for your encouragement through your word, by your spirit. We thank you for the amazing love that you poured out for us in Christ Jesus so that everyone who would believe can come to you by faith and know that we and they are a child of yours forever. Lord, I pray that your love just washes over us this morning. Your presence fills this place and fills us, Lord. Help us to feel your nearness to us. And Lord, help us to make the commitment to start following you first. As husbands, as wives, help us to fall deeper in love with you. As parents, deeper in love with you, help us to commit all of our life, every area of our lives to you because you are worthy and you're faithful. So lead us, Father, going from this place. Let us be day one of a new commitment to put you first and to lead and care for our families in the way that pleases you and that aligns with your design for the family. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing and what you're going to do. We thank you for your faithfulness and goodness expressed to us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.